Get ready for conflicts where movie reviews collide. Welcome back to another episode of Conflicts, the podcast with your hosts, me, Laura, slash Lulu, and our ever-present dad joke himself, Rich. Say hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. Every time. Every time. Every hey, time. Did you know spring has finally sprung, sir? Oh, thank God. Right? Yes. Fuck winter. Sorry. I do. I hate winter. Fudge winter. No, no, fuck winter. <laughs> I mean, really, winter is just, it's just awful. And yeah. I, you know, I say that because I grew up near Chicago and it was oh, worse there. Oh, so much worse. And I still hate it. Yeah. No, it's awful. You know what I saw this week that What's got that? me real excited? What's that? They're rebooting Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Rick Moranis is going to be in it. I think I did read that because, you know, he kind of, he kind of disappeared. He did. His wife passed away. Yeah, and a... so he kind of retired to go be a dad, which I mean, what a wonderful person you are, Rick Moranis. Yeah. He really is a cool guy. And that's one of kind of a sad story there, but... But he did disappear from acting. And now he's coming back. And I loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I loved that movie. They, they were really great family movies. You know, they, they really have their place. And, and they were, I'm not going to say I was a big fan, but... Well, you I'm, were too old. I really was. But I'm a big fan of Rick Moranis. And they, they and definitely had their place. They were fun. Oh, yeah. He's done so many great things. You seen anything this week that's caught your attention? So, you know, I've got to take this like to the next level because oh, I always do. I don't know if I'm ready because, you know, I, I just want to prove that I'm like the alpha geek. You are. <laughs> I guess that's a thing. So here's what I'm super excited about. July 14th, 2020, we get Peace Talks, the next novel from Jim Butcher in the Dresden Files. I understood part of that. <laughs> I know that date. Yes. And yeah. I know the Dresden Files. So if, if you guys out there aren't dresden file fans i don't know what the hell is wrong with you now i know they tried to do you are a valid human being and there's nothing wrong with you continue no nah, she's wrong um <laughs> now i know they, they, they tried to do, do a cheesy tv show on it and that like, is the only thing i am familiar with to me there is nothing out there that's more prime for a retry than the dresden files I mean, now that we actually have to the point where you can tell stories like Game of Thrones right, right. and you can get those out there, the Dresden Files, I mean, you look at The Witcher, you look at some of them, mm -hmm. how is this source material not being finally used in the right well, way? Well, maybe with this new thing coming out, they will, uh, it'll head in that direction. And, and I really hope so because I am a huge Jim Butcher fan. This guy is just great. And the Dresden Files are fantastic. I like his other stuff too. And he's taken a break. We haven't had a Dresden Files in like, you know, six years. And then here's a guy who, you know, was cranking them out every year for a decade and a half. And, you know, well, he, he saw, you know, how Game of Thrones rolled. He's like, you know what? People are going to stay hanging on. I can take as long as I want. And he kind of said, he's like, I just want to try writing a few other things for a while. It's been great, but I, I'll come back to it later. And I can't fault the guy for that. And I read his other stuff and it was fantastic. But I am super excited to go back to Dresden Files and see what's up with old Harry Dresden these days. And I can pretend like I'm going to check it out and I'm excited for you, but I'm not going to check it out. Really? No. You, you should go. I mean, at least read the first one. It, it, I it, might. It's a pretty good grabber right from the beginning. You know, some of them you have to take a while to get into. Game of Thrones was that way. Yeah. The, the first book, you really had to slog your way through it before you understood what the hell was going on. It's not that way with Dresden Files. It will grab you from the first couple of chapters. Okay. It's a if good that's story. the case, 
then maybe I will check it out. It, it really, it's very different than Game of Thrones as far as his writing style, um, but uh, it you know has that same kind of fantasy genre. You know, he's the modern. He's it's got that fantasy element, but it's modern day. I say modern day. It's you know you're looking at the early two thousands in Chicago because it's still twenty years old now. But you know, it has that modern feel. He is a wizard who lives in a world where there are supernatural things that most people don't know about, but it's today. It's very eighties Beauty and the Beast. Yep, he's in the phone book. You can look him up. <laughs> own books how quaint okay speaking of quaint today i don't know i feel like old-timey things are all quaint and then i was like that's a weird segue this isn't really quaint but today we're doing master and commander the far side of the world this is from way back in 2003 came out november 14 stars russell crowe and paul bettany and is directed by paul weir who is the guy who did witness dead poet society truman show etc so he's Someone whose works you are probably familiar with. A brief synopsis. In 1805, the HMS Surprise is ordered to hunt down and capture a powerful French vessel off the coast of South America. Can Captain Lucky Jack and his men hunt down this ship of Napoleon's men in the face of seemingly insurmountable loss? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't do it, couldn't you? You couldn't get get past it. I was so hard. I was like... Just make it through the cheese. Make it through the cheese. Yep, I couldn't cut through the he, cheese. That's right. He's got a boatload of semen. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to make a swallow joke right I think, now. I think Lulu is rebooting at the moment. She, it's okay. She is shut down. It's okay. All it, right. You know what? It was something about insurmountable obstacles. I don't need to go back. You get it. Dun, dun, dun. Done. All right. <laughs> I have a couple of fun facts about this movie, but I know it's a beloved classic for you. You got anything to add before I dive in, buddy? No, good. I want to I want to hear your fun facts. I might have a few to add. Okay. Historical accuracy was huge for this movie and two different historical advisors were on set at all times when anything was filming. Russell Crowe learned to play the violin for this movie and said it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do, which is why in one scene he's picking at it like a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Paul Bettany went to the Royal College of Surgeons in London to learn how to use 18th century surgical tools, all for the historical accuracy of this piece. Now, I'll, I'll go ahead and interject one quick thing here, because, you know, I'm, I'm the book guy, right? So, you are the book guy, uh, and this the, is a book. Well, these are a series of books, uh, 21 True. of them uh, by Patrick O'Brien. And in the book realm, from historical fiction, this is considered some of the best stuff out there. Uh, you know, because he so accurately portrays that time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's very much the Forrest Gump of the Age of Sail, because all of these things happen. They are this, these are well documented events. They just all happen to other people. And he writes the stories with with Jack Aubrey right. as opposed to you know Thomas Cochran. Very much many of these things uh, actually happened to Thomas Cochran, and there are a few other things, um, and a few other people that he interjects, and he just makes it this guy. But uh, all of these things happen, you know. So you, like you're talking about. Uh, Paul Bettany learning to perform surgery, you know, the, the crazy thing where they put the coin in the, you know, replace the guy's skull with the coin Mm -hmm. documented story actually happened, you know? So these are not just crazy uh, things that, you know, were, were invented for this. Most of these events actually happened in one form or another. They just didn't necessarily happen to him Um, in that way. You know, like the HMS surprise was a real ship. It really existed. A, a, a fun little fact about that. Uh, it was at the shelling of Fort McHenry in 1814. That's the famous bombardment that resulted in Francis Scott Key writing the defense of Fort McHenry, which also later became the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, 
I was like, why are you telling me this? I don't care. So, now I care. Yeah. So the so the real surprise was actually there because it was a real, um, it was a real ship. The uh, ship they use in the movie was a replica of the HMS Rose, which has now since been renamed the Surprise. But uh, I also just love the name. I mean, I get that it was a real ship, but I just love that there's a ship out there. Surprise! <laughs> you know, and it, there there's there really is some. Um, uh, some other fun little tiebacks, like for example, you you mentioned that the you know them playing the violin. Mm-hmm. So that's a very much a part of the story is Aubrey and Modern playing uh, playing music. That's what they would do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes in the evening, to the point where uh, the uh, the music that you hear them playing is all mu- music referenced from the books. Oh. So they actually picked up the pieces, and that's what that's what you hear. So, like, they, they were that... Yeah, it was deep. They, they went that that far when they held true to the, the source material and the historical accuracy. They they really went there. Well, it was originally supposed to be the first in a series of films, but the uh, two-hour and 18-minute runtime and the sagging box office numbers led it to be a one-off. Yeah, it's not one of those that did terribly, but for the money they put into it, it didn't get the returns they'd hoped for. They wanted something even more. You know, if they'd have been able to make that for about $100 million less, it probably would have been considered a much bigger success. Right. But that's not how that played out. So I am saddened by the fact that they weren't able to make more, but that's movie math. Well, you're about to be saddened further by my review of All right, this movie. go ahead. Give it to me. Yeah, it gets a C... Okay, it's not and as bad as I thought you were going to go. It was going to get a D plus, but I rewatched it because I was like, I don't know if I can sit through this movie again. Guys, it's two hours and 18 minutes. Two hours and 18 minutes. It's a long ass movie. And I had seen this movie once and I was inebriated and I didn't remember it well. So for all of you, dear listeners, I rewatched this movie and... The amazing attention to detail and the great performances and the painstaking historical accuracy were what took it from a D plus to a C. Beyond that, it is so slowly paced. It has a bland color palette, which might not sound like a lot to some people, but it's a big deal to me. Everything's washed out. The characters don't engage in the way that they should in that you don't develop an emotional attachment to them again. It's long. It's ultimately boring and feels like the movie that your history teacher would play in class when they're lazy. <laughs> you know, I here's the problem. As I want to have a hard time picking apart your, your review because... Because everything I just said is valid. Well, and, and I can understand that. I mean, obviously, this, this, this is a movie for me that I'm going to give an A+. But at the same time, I recognize that this is super in my wheelhouse because like, oh my God, you are so the guy this movie was made for. They yeah. were like, see this guy right yeah. here. Let's make this movie for him. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm such a history buff that and I, you're the detail guy and I'm the detail guy. So when they get all of that accurate, it's hard for me to not like, you know, like you say, uh, you know, the, the characters didn't develop and they didn't develop relationships. Well, I understand that. And you're right. That, that did not happen in the movie, but at the same time, that's so super historically accurate because that's how it would be on a ship. You, you know, the fact that Steven and, and, um, and Jack Aubrey have the relationship that they do was very rare and uncommon. For them to have been on that many ships together was not very likely. Now, if you read the series, you also understand that part of that's because Stephen, Stephen is actually a British spy who is highly placed in, in, in Britain and has a lot, of, a lot of friends. So he's able to place himself in those situations mm. on purpose. Um, so you kind of understand why those two are together so much because, you know, and that's also why Jack winds up in so many of these situations because he's like Jack's his guy. So he like, you know, who needs this command is Jack Aubrey. 
while we go figure out this this thing that's related to his intelligence work. There's, there's a lot of that that actually goes on, uh, but they don't portray that in the movie. But so you know the fact that there aren't any relationships is how it should have been. If you would have had relationships, then it would no longer have been accurate. And that that for me is why I look at that and say, but I'm glad that they did not make that compromise. I'm glad that they didn't go there just for the sake of Hollywoodizing this era because I love history and I'm glad that they did it very accurately. And I got to admit, I have a weakness for the Age of Sail as well. You do. Oh God, I love the Age of Sail. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I I could go on and on about the the little details of uh, of everything that happened there, and it's it's fantastic. You know, I'll, I'll give you the one quick one: the the fact that they're so excited about prize money uh, because that was the main motivational factor for the British Navy at that point in time. The reason why so many people actually did go to the Navy and and so much because they could make so much money by capturing a prize, and that's what the, the British government used to motivate their sailors to do well. Because they mm-hmm. honestly didn't get paid well enough. Why would you go sacrifice yourself for a king and country and get in these horrible, horrible battles? Well, because you have the I'd chance. be stuck on these horrible, horrible ships. You see how small that ship is and how many people were on there? You know what that ship must have smelled like? So the, the HMS Rose, which is what that ship in the movie was the replica of, uh, had a complement of, I think, 287 people. So almost 300 people. Dear God. Yeah, I've been on that ship. I'm so claustrophobic. I'm like cringing right now. And you look at it and you're like, where would 300 people stand? So uh, I'll where give, would 300 people shit? Out the portholes in the back. Um, oh, they just shit in the ocean. I've done that. I knew yeah. that. Um, so here's for example. According to the British Navy, I peed in the ocean. I didn't shit in the ocean. Sorry. Uh, and in the decks where you house people, you had to have 14 inches per person. Oh god. The, yeah. I'm going to my happy place. Keep talking. So, so since they did two shifts, you had a, a starboard and a larboard shift. Uh, that's port for some of you. Um, so starboard and port shift, that, and they never slept at the same time. So at any mm-hmm. point in time, each person actually had 28 inches in which to hang their hammock and sleep because it was 14 per person. You were packed in very tightly. Uh, yeah, no, it, 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 it was pretty rough. But at the same time, you know, for example, them taking that ship and then turning it in as prize money, a, a ship that fantastic, those guys, even the common sailors, were probably going to make what would have been two years good wages just from capturing that prize. Let alone that some, of the, let alone that some of the captains and admirals would basically, uh, you know, there were a lot of baronies given out because of that. They, uh-huh. they were, you know, given titles, land. Um, they could really progress them a very high up in the aristocracy at the time. And even like a lieutenant, you know, if you, you were a part of it, the money you got was amazing. You could go buy yourself a villa. So that was the motivational factor mm-hmm. for these people going out and doing it because... Something had to make it worth it. Yeah, because if not, you'd have a navy. You'd be like, I don't want to do that shit. Because <laughs> I don't want to do that shit either. Yeah, there were millions paid out in, in prize. Millions in those years, you know, in the early 1800s. There would have been millions paid out in oh, prize money. Right. I just got what you meant. Jeez, that'd be damn near billions now. Oh, absolutely. It, it was it was a phenomenal uh, motivational factor for these guys to go to to go do that. And yeah, I, I but like I said, they do. If you look on that ship, when you know, there's several scenes where you're like you see those people all sleeping there and they're shoulder to shoulder, elbow yeah, to elbow. I had to close my eyes. It was um I don't know. I, I, the accuracy was great. So for me, this is an amazing movie. You know, I did notice that you forgot to mention this was nominated for 10 Oscars. It only won two. It won two. It lost out in all the other categories to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yep. And the <laughs> only two that it won, Lord of the Rings wasn't nominated in that category. Yep. 
that that's that's legit what happened which is funny because you know I, I and know. it was like obscure things like sound editing and stuff like that because lord of the rings didn't do well at the oscars until the last one and it, it was very much like the oscars are like yeah i guess we got to give out all these oscars to these guys now, yeah. right uh, it was almost like they weren't giving it out for that movie but that whole series um so but i do think this is fantastic but i admit i have a severe bias towards not only historical fiction but towards uh, age of sale so yeah i am totally the guy this movie was made for okay so there's obviously not gonna be a female factor because um don't even think you know aside from the when they go to the island and there's the ladies on the ships with the pair on the little boats with parasols i don't think yeah. there's any ladies on screen anyway so obviously not that kind of story but instead if you were in the age of sail going to be on the high seas who would you be and what would you be doing? And please, like, dumb it down for me. Like, I don't need, like, third lieutenant, whatever. Just, you know, for funsies. Who, who would I be? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my actual favorite character in all of them. Well, not just in them. Like, on the whole of the ocean. Oh, well, I mean, you know, everybody on the ocean in the age of sail wants to be a captain. You know, I mean. Uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know, man. That's That's, who would I be? I mean, because I'm not the pirate guy. I love the pirate stories and I love everything that went on there, but I love the age the of The pirate sale. life is not for you? Probably not. No. I mean, maybe because I'm just such, I like order so much that yeah, I, I really much prefer the British Navy because they were very orderly. Mm -hmm. So maybe I, I prefer that in, but you know, I mean. So you I, are still going to be on the surprise. I, you know, I probably would have been because, you know, the the frigates or the the fourth and fifth rate ships, they they were considered where you wanted to be simply because those are the ones that were capturing the prizes. Mm -hmm. You know, your your third rate ships, your you know your your seventy fourth uh, you know gunships, which were kind of the becoming the primary ship of the line at that point in time, didn't actually take much prizes. They were held back for the real battles against other ships of the line, uh, so they weren't necessarily prime uh, posts that you would you might want to get. Uh, although, you know, when they did see battle, they saw terrible, terrible battles, just but not as often. So you'd want to be on a frigate. So obviously I'd want to be on a frigate. What you would know? you be doing on the ship? In the galley? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> no. I, I see myself as uh, beginning as a young midshipman. Cool. You don't know what that is. Yeah. Nope, but it no. sounds so cool. A like young, I'm the midshipman. You know, who hopes to work my way up to uh, take my lieutenant's exam someday. Your lieutenant? Yeah, lieutenant. Yeah, that, and that is what it is. Um, which there are actually very few ranks back then. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Lieutenant was it. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's a little inaccurate about this movie, because it is an amalgamation of a couple of the different stories in the books, because the movie is called Master and Commander, but I think at times it's clearly pointed out that he has made post. So he's a post captain at this point in time and not a Master and Commander. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, that means he did not achieve that rank he was posted that rank like no in the throw of things or no, is that reversed no you yeah you can have it backwards so master and commander is kind of a temporary rank so they really weren't like lieutenant or lieutenant was really the only rank now if you are on a small enough ship like i say a, a small sloop um which the surprise was a frigate which is why he's probably post at this point uh, but like his early commands like the sophie they were they were like an, i think it was an 18 gun sloop you would be uh, uh, they weren't they didn't warrant their own captain Oh. So you'd give him a lieutenant that has experience and put it on there, and then that lieutenant would become uh, the commander of the ship, which now, whoever's in charge of the ship is called a captain no matter what your rank. Right, right. Um, but he's actually, his only actual rank in the, in the Navy would have been a lieutenant. But since he's in charge, now he gets to be called captain. Now, in the smaller ships, they didn't have a, a commander and a sailing master. 
So you, that person took the role of the sailing master as well. So you were the master and commander of the ship. So that's where the phrase master and commander oh. comes from. But now you're still just a lieutenant. So your next post, you may get posted to another ship where you're just a lieutenant serving under a captain. Now, the moment that you actually can make post is when you actually get to be a captain. Now, you're a real captain. Okay, so and I had it backwards. What that means is you were actually published in the Post-Gazette. Right, So right. The, the, the Naval Post-Gazette, they came out and said, you're now and a captain. And yeah, and your post came from, which, by the way, the service date was very important. So the day that you pass your lieutenant's exam matters because first, second, third lieutenant on a ship, those aren't ranks. Literally, they are by your seniority. So mm. the person who's been the lieutenant the longest is the first lieutenant. The person who's but been they the could lieutenant. they can be shittier at their job than they, the second or third lieutenant. Absolutely, they can be, um, which was problematic at times but that, see that being highly that problematic at times absolutely did happen as a matter of fact the admirals were were the same way uh when it was all about your post date so the the way you got went up the ranks in the admiralty was basically everybody else, with being good at your job they died out it was all based on who was the longest so the most senior admiral was the person who served the longest which hypothetically would have been whoever did the least Sometimes, sometimes that did happen. But so he's clearly a post captain at this point in time. As a matter of fact, at the end of the movie, when he gives Pullings the ship, mm -hmm. I think it's implied that Tom Pullings uh, was. Um, yeah, yeah. He said he said something about here's your post. Yeah. So I was. I think he's hoping that he's going to make post because I believe the way that would work is he's uh, giving him command as master and commander of his own ship, and the only way he would basically do that is if he was a post captain. So you know, there's some. They're, they're, they kind of fudged it there, and mostly because, like I said, they combined a couple of the stories from the books that happened at different times. Um, because as you progress through the books, he progresses in ranks. Uh, as a matter of fact, Commodore's the same way, though. The Mortis Command, he's promoted as a Commodore. Commodore wasn't an actual rank. It was a, a temporary rank given for specific commands. Hmm. So, like, they're, they're like, hey, take God, these. you know a lot about yeah. this shit. Well, they said, take these ships, go take these two islands, and you get to be Commodore, and he could hoist his pennant during that time, which signified that he was in charge. But his rank is still just post-captain. The only the next rank are you get to the admirals, and they were all designated by the color they were. You know, his admiral was blue. Mm. So what, you'd start out as just a midshipman and then end up with an admiral with blue something. Most midshipmen were actually parents who were able to afford to pay a captain to take their kid to sea. Nice. Because in order to take your... Like that blonde kid that lost an arm. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Uh, most, um, you know, people have a lot of kids, so you had to kind of get rid of them because you had to, you know. You had to pay, for, pay them. for them. Plus, if you wanted your kid to do something and be somebody, so you had to have six years at sea before you could even theoretically take your lieutenant's exams. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a lieutenant young because you want to get your post date to be, or you want to get your your date to be happen really early on, the only way you're going to be able to do that is to get your kid out to sea really early. So they would take 12, 13-year-old boys. If you had money, you could pay a captain He'd put them on there as a young master. They'd make them a, a midshipman, which wasn't a real rank, but it was basically an officer in training. Mm -hmm. They would put them out there and hopefully they would get their six years experience and be able to pass their lieutenant's exams when they got, you know, say, 18, 19 years old, which is what you'd hope for to be able to be a lieutenant that young. And then you had a chance of making post-captain at a fairly young age and, you know, once again, theoretically making money and being somebody. Uh, for That's that family, theoretical, early nineteenth century, rich would have been doing. Yeah, like I said, I seem as because some of the um, your parents totally would have paid. Like, take him away, well, yeah. And you got some family favors out of it too. You know, if you could just go pay somebody, then maybe like your uncle so and so served on this ship, and be like, hey, can you know, would you be willing to take this kid on as uh, you know a young master? And you know, so I always pictured myself starting out as like a midshipman. Uh, that was, uh, you know, had hopes and dreams of 
passing the lieutenant's exam someday, maybe working his way up to, uh, you know, the master's mate, uh, which, by the way, was a very well-paid position. So, nice. Got a lovely little 1800s life eked out for yourself yeah, there. I could, I could probably do a whole podcast on the age of sale. I, really I can could. tell. I totally, the only way I'm setting foot on any of those ships is if I am on an exploratory vessel headed to, you know, an archipelago such as the Galapagos and discovering new things. That is the only thing about that time that excites me is all the things that people didn't know and all the new discoveries yet to be made. Oh, that's fantastic. That's exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be out there with a sketchbook finding stick bugs and getting really excited about it and dreaming about flightless birds and you know, wantonly walking in front of a loaded gun without realizing it because I was chasing a bird. That'd be me. <laughs> Oddly detailed, but I understand that. Yep. Hey, you know, just since uh, you know we do disagree so much, do you want do you want to bring on uh, you want to bring on a tiebreaker? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. I, I may I may have stacked the deck on this one. Damn it. I, I, I'm. This may not be 100 percent fair, but but I, th I think I want to I want to bring on a tiebreaker. Okay, we're bringing in a special correspondent. I want to I want to phone a friend. You know, I do have to admit, though, uh, there is one thing I'm surprised you didn't bring up, Lulu. What's that? Billy Boyd. Who's Billy Boyd? Billy Boyd. You fucking kidding me? What? what? Am I having a? Am I having a? a am I having a seizure right now? What's Pippin? happening? Pippin from Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's because his name's Pippin. His name's yeah. not Billy Boyd. Just <laughs> tell me he has a real name. His name's Pippin. Don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's of course, I noticed Pippin. He had a scar on his face. He totally. He actually plays Barrett Bonden, who is the coxswain. Yeah, I love and, uh, that you know the character's <laughs> name and what he does. I'm just like, cool, that's Pippin. There's actually a funny scene in uh, one of the novels where uh, Jack gets a new command and he's out outfitting the ship. And like late one night, somebody appears at the ship. There's actually a couple people with him. And what's funny about that is like, you know, when you're important, you don't just approach a ship. You know, you don't want to do that. That's it's a little bit of a sketchy proposition there because, you know, these people are are armed and dangerous. And what it is, it's it's. Um, it's Barrett Bonden who, you know, had served with him quite a, quite often before. And he had to sneak out of the ship because wandering around a port, if you weren't already attached to the ship, you were likely to be press ganged into a ship. And he didn't want to be press ganged any random ship. He wanted to go serve for Lucky Jack Aubrey because, well, all of his, his own personal prize money had already run out. <laughs> Actually, he, he gave it to his family, but still, he was like, Let Jack's going to sea, I'm going with him. So he has to sneak out of the ship to make sure that he that's the ship that he gets on. Nice. So, yeah. And, and I don't know. Okay. But Billy Boyd, we get some Pippin out of this. Pippin aside, we've got a special correspondent with us. We are joined by Brad. Welcome, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> we appreciate we appreciate your time, sir. Um, I was going to say we need you to be a tiebreaker, but you're clearly wrong about this movie as well. But please continue. Go ahead. <laughs> well, actually, I served on an 1800s British... No, no. I <laughs> but... Brad looks amazing for his age, guys. Amazing. <laughs> Here's what's messed up on uh, Rich's other podcast, which is a, a live play RPG thing. It's My called The Adventurer's Vault. Check the it out. The Adventurer's Vault. It's great. I play a sailor <laughs> <laughs> who is a, a first lieutenant. I, I can never say it. What's his name? Alderbillet uh, Smythe, Duke Thank of Caliban, is Lord that of the Red Sand Shores, and Head to the Golden Fleet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, well, there's, there's, it's complicated. You <laughs> should check it, it out. Yeah. It's it's deep. But what what is true is he is a sailor. So yeah, you've pretty much been like railroaded on this one. <laughs> uh, totally, <laughs> this is unfair. It, it's unfair. Like not only is I this, demand a recount. This is such a sausage fest movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really, <you're>... truly <laughs> dicks out for this whole thing. Not literally though. But uh, yeah, this movie is a heavy influence on my character. Uh, so really, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. 
not fair. Yeah. You yeah. so no, stacked really, the deck. No, there's, there's a good chunk you, of, of Lucky Jack. You, in you were press ganged into this whole episode. <laughs> you really were. Wait, does your character look like Russell Crowe? No, he, he's oh. more of a Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, but. Oh. <laughs> well, hello. Have you not seen the fan art? No, not of your character. Uh, I've got some. I'll have to go check your gram I've later. Got, I've got some slash fake you should check out. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, I'll, I'm going to interject another quick fun fact here. I'll help you out here. I'll give you something to talk about that is not being railroaded. Okay. Both Jarvises are in this movie. Mm, yeah. Who's the other one? James D.R.C. He plays Thomas Pullings in Master and Commander. He is the one who plays Jarvis in Agent Carter. Uh, he's Jarvis. In, oh, I never saw Agent uh, Carter. Avengers Endgame. Uh, when you have the quick scene mm-hmm. with the dad, that's he's, why he's I didn't there. recognize him because it's just the quick scene. So he's the actual like he he was Jarvis, the actual human Jarvis, the human Jarvis, and then Paul Bettany obviously plays the voice of Jarvis. Then later on, so you have both Jarvises in this movie. Arguably the most interesting thing about it. No, I I just like it. It has like it's one. Of, that's why I had such a hard time reading it. Like it has merits. I'm not out here like this is a steaming turd. But I'm no, also no, no. not like whoa. Let's watch Master and Commander again. Like I am. It was a struggle getting through it when I rewatched it. I but, was like, put your phone down and watch the movie. But you know, at the same time, that's why I wanted to review it because, like, I knew this was my wheelhouse. I I knew that this is my like, God. This is so your wheelhouse. The, the movie for me, um, and I, I kind of wanted you know, here. Let's get somebody's uh, experience that's not mine. Yeah, not so, me. But you know, we know you kind of base your character on this. On our other podcast, uh, but what about the movie itself? Like, yeah, what, Brad, what, tell in, us. what about it inspired you to do that? So for me, the heart of this tale is it's a David and Goliath story. Um, the the Rose, which is the ship um, Lucky Jack Captains is based on, is only a twenty gun ship, whereas the Acheron essentially is based off. And, and this is the only major historical inaccuracy. Why in God's name would the Americans build the French a frigate? I wondered that myself. It, that that's the big plot so hole. In the if you own the the books that they're based off of, the the that actually is an American ship. It's the the, the USS Constitution. Yeah. You know, they mentioned yeah. how thick it's made. It's mm-hmm. these are the it, they're, those are the six ships that were built of that class, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what they're actually after in the book. They have to change it because well, they're marketing this to an American audience, and you don't want them taking out an American frigate. So they change it to a French frigate, but then they, they're like, no, it was built in America, which never actually happened. So that was a, a creation just for the movie. For marketing purposes. Well, and, much, and yeah. the Acheron is essentially the, the constitution. Yeah, it I is. mean, it's that mix of white oak and li- live oak yeah. that basically is just like, fuck your cannonballs. Not today, America. <laughs> no, no. Well, and that's actually specifically why they did it. And like I said, there were ships, six ships made of that class. There were the... When they passed the law to make it, they said they could make up to eight, but then there was, but that was only if a treaty wasn't signed before they were finished, and the treaty was signed, so they only ever made those six frigates. So it would theoretically have been any one of those, but the old Ironsides Constitution is obviously the famous one of that class. And at that time, America's Navy, though small and outclassed by numbers by England by so much, those are some of the most superior technological ships on the sea. They were. They were built for the, they can outgun and outfight anything smaller and they can outrun anything bigger. So, you know, if you had a giant, like I said, you know, a 74-gun third-rate ship of the line, um, they could just outrun them and outmaneuver them to where they'll never be able to engage them. Mm-hmm. But anything smaller, uh, they're just going to outbeat the crap out of it, which is what happened. So, I mean, essentially the Acheron in this tale is a 44-gun ship mm-hmm. uh so they're bringing no matter what angle they're at they're bringing pretty much twice as many guns as the surprise in this case uh and at any range even close those cannons aren't going to do jack shit so what do you do 
when the Admiralty's like, I need you to take care of this. I can't do anything to hurt this ship. Yeah, I didn't ask for a reply. Go handle it. <laughs> uh, so this is a very David and Goliath tale. Like, how the hell is Lucky Jack going to take his smaller ship that is slower and has less guns and capture the Acheron? Doesn't have a chance in hell. There, that's the story. And and from a for that, you have to understand the technical side a little bit. And you know that's boring as hell. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Like not not arguing for for like, for you really appreciate this movie. You have to do a lot of research. And like yeah, American audiences, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I do. Um, but I, really. I hated history class, people. I hated it. Oh yeah. I mean, me and Jay or I mean Richard just Jay and I each other off in the closet <laughs> over history stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, history. So this is actually uh, like I mentioned before, these are all based on real historical incidents. And then this one is a Thomas Cochran story. So he actually took over uh, the Cacafuego, which was a <laughs> the name of the ship. Flaming uh, Doodoo? What? Which was a much larger Zebec frigate with his eighteen gun sloop, the USS Sophie. Uh, so that, that's a real historical thing. It really happened. Uh, much, much smaller crew, much, much smaller guns. And it was just an amazing piece of tactical engagement. And that's kind of where they're going with this. This ship, you know, and the Mowat mention, mentions it. Um, and they like, it's out of our class. I, I understand like every third word they're saying, folks. It's so, cool. so the, the guy that portrayed in the movie, Lucky Jack, is based off a real dude. And the real dude's exploits are way more bitching. Like, is he is he, hot? Uh, I probably I don't know. I wasn't alive back then. Um, damn it! But Brad. like he does like so many things with even less. The the guy yeah. he's really based off has done crazier shit with smaller ships, and he was no like the admiral. He was like, we don't like this guy. He's kind of a prick. Here, have a little eighteen gun that does nothing. And he's like, fuck it, I'll get my own big ships. And he goes and captures big ships over and over he and does. over to the point where like the admiralty hates him so much they pretty much boot him out of Britain. So he goes over and checks over the Chilean navy. <laughs> oh, that, now see, that's a tale I'd watch. Like, yeah. that sounds cool. Like, I'm a badass and you don't like me, so I'm going to go take over Chile and see what happens. No, he does. <laughs> I mean, no, Thomas Cochran, like, his real life exploits are just are just phenomenal. Yeah, the, the only reason we're not getting stories about him is because when these books were written, it was around that time. So you didn't really want to, like, you know, hey, write an autobiography for somebody. So Lucky Jack is created. But nowadays, that dude's been dead a long time. We could be making these bitching movies, yeah. but American audiences don't really connect with Age of Sail stuff anymore. It's a very British thing. And the books, by the way, are hard to read. Uh, do you ever read any, uh, like, Tom Sawyer? You know how there's the lingo that you kind of have to, uh-huh. to get into and get past? This is that way. Because he's so historically accurate in the books that the speech is accurate as well. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little long time. It takes you... It takes a long time to kind of get into understanding the language to know what they're even saying at times. So it, it can be a rough read, but uh, once you get Guys, into it. Guys, I know things too. And I just want to request <laughs> that like, I'm going to need us to like pick a movie that like I know shit about too. Cause I've just been sitting over here like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. See, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like I know shit. All right, I know things. That's a, that's a deal. I got we'll, smarter toots, man. You 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 definitely get to to, to make a pick. See, or, or you two. are like experiencing what I go through every time. Like Gretchen talks about like Victorian era stuff, which is like, oh, I love Jane Eyre and stuff. Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I love history except for this section. Except like, for this bit of history. <laughs> Oddly enough, there is a connection there because you're looking at not too far or not too dissimilar times in history. And if you read the books, there's a lot that goes on with Jack Aubrey and his home life. And it, his home life is very much almost that, that Victorian Jane Hare type 
uh, like his eventual wife, he woos her for a long time, but basically the family doesn't want him to because he's not successful enough. And he goes through periods of like, he, he's successful at sea, but then he's terrible with his finances. So he loses his fortune a couple of times. <laughs> That's still a thing that happens to sailors now. Yeah. Like he, he, because the prize money actually sometimes took a long time because the prize court had to rule on everything. So he wouldn't took out a loan against all of his prize money from a big bank. And then like the prize court, disallowed two of his prizes because they ruled they were neutral ships after all and then like so he didn't get his money but then he still owed all like he actually had to flee england england at one point to get away from the debt collectors and this guy yeah that happened to me i took a couple of like 18 wheel trucks uh like yeah like a little prizes yeah no like i took them as prizes and apparently that's illegal (laughs) in america you can't you can't just steal a truck full of things um so yeah that happened to me one time but, yeah, would you have a whole crew with you too? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You ever watch Fast and the Furious, like the first one? That's, yeah, it's pretty much based off me and some. No, I'm sorry. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's based off his fanfic. Okay, <laughs> that's my other character. <laughs> his name's Dale. It's like Vin Diesel, but with hair. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you've got one, Brad. You can feel free to abstain from this, but let's do a little good, bad, and ugly real quick, buddy. All right, I'm just going to dive right in, and the good for me is Russell Crowe's hair. Ooh, queen. Y'all, yes, queen. Jack Aubrey's nickname in the Admiralty was Goldilocks. I just have a thing for men with long hair, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, you know, his hair was pretty epic. Do you, I mean, do you consider yep. that long hair? It was like shoulder length, wasn't it? It's longer than yours. Well, I have a thing okay, for that doesn't take a whole lot. I have a thing for men's hair that is longer than like ear length and can, would be considered long for a men's okay, cut. Okay, fair. That that's a definition. See, I'm gonna go ahead and pick Russell Crowe for, for a different reason because the hair was epic. I don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna take that away from you. It definitely was epic. But Russell Crowe is the guy. I think this comedian that said that. Like anything Russell Crowe does, like he becomes that. Yeah. Like. He takes on like everything he says, the, his his speech, his mannerisms. Like he, you believe he's Jack Aubrey to the point where when I read those books now, I can't you not picture Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. He's he's that good at it, and so he's just amazing at at portraying every little bit of it. Stand tall on the quarterdeck, son. You know. Yeah. And in the middle of the battle, he's like, "Nope, you stand up." All about the Russell Crowe. What about you, Brad? Are you going to abstain? See, my good is is Paul Bettany actually, uh, because uh, like for every indeed. good thing Russell Crowe does, Paul Bettany's in that scene playing the counterpart that really with less to do with less to do. Um, and I just love Paul Bettany cause he's got such a range. Yeah. I'm not saying Russell Crowe is a great actor, but I, for me, he's Russell Crowe mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff. Paul Bettany has more range for me. Yeah. Well, Bettany's great. I oh, mean, I, yeah. If you've ever gone from night's tale to watching this movie, yeah, two completely, <laughs> two completely different dudes, still Paul Bettany. All right. What about a bad? I'm going to go with when that sweet kid lost his arm. I know it's part of the story. It serves a purpose. It was just, you just felt for him. It's it's a rough his scene. His little brave face you and the way. Oh, you got to give that kid credit. feels. Because, you know, they don't actually show it. I mean, right. you know, they, they, the camera pans up to where you're only seeing the kid's face and the rest of it. You know what's happening. And there's that little noise. It's mm-hmm. not quite loud enough, but like that is a gruesome scene. Well, and that kid played that really well. No, he was fantastic. That that little actor was amazing. So, yeah, that that was that was great. That that was rough to watch. Yeah, if that happened to me, I'd be screaming like just yeah yeah. Is it the same for you guys? I'm actually going to go with another death scene though. But the, the scene where they have to cut the kid loose when they're rounding Cape Horn. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that was because he was a well loved member of the crew, and he's actually if you notice the scene before where he's the one. Uh, that came in, you know, Wally's second cousin that uh-huh. knew how the ship was made. That's who that is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was a rough scene. You're like, damn, they just, they and he to... was, I believe he was the one in that scene that was married too. Yeah. So he's leaving a family behind. Yeah. But they had to cut him loose to save the ship. And that, well, that was, that the was many. brutal. Yeah. What mm. about you, Brad? Uh, the bad for me is, uh, and it's a great sequence of scenes. I actually love it. But it's rough to watch that that kid going through where like he loses the respect of the crew and oh. slowly oh, and then, slowly becomes the Jonah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollum. It's when a, the wind stops. I mean, great, yeah. great acting. Those were uh, for Lulu. Those were all the midshipmen, by the way. Yeah. yeah. But then he's just like, "You were always nice to me," and he just grabs a cannonball and jumps over. You're like, "Oh, Ooh. ow, yeah, yeah, poor guy." And then yeah. like. And then they're doing his funeral, and literally the dude hands Aubrey the <laughs> Bible open to Jonah. And he's like, come on, dude. He's just like, well, I'm just saying. Preserved Killick. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. uh, that's the one book in the Bible you know, old guy? <laughs> really? You know how to find Jonah? Can't even read. I know, yeah. <laughs> but it's a great little scene. Like, oh, great acting, but it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. poor, poor kid. Yeah, you felt that one. Okay, you guys probably won't have an ugly for this, but for me, the ugly was the grueling length. It was a long two hours and 18 minutes eh, i don't know long. you've seen movies that long and liked it yeah that's why this one was a long two hours and 18 <laughs> minutes I, you know actually brad kind of hit on what was my ugly earlier and that was the way they mismatched some of these stories together actually led to a few inaccuracies and a few i don't know if i want to call them plot holes but uh it, it kind of took away a, a few things like and for you know. freaks yeah yeah it, it really did like you said why were why would the yankees be building a french frigate uh, that that makes no sense. It, so it was them shoehorning a few things in there. So I, I don't know, especially having read the books. I'm like, I don't know. There were several of those books they could have easily have done just the book and not had to shoehorn in multiple stories. All right. What about you, Brad? For me, it, it touches on that. Yeah. The ugly is that we have to make such a drastic plot change to try to sell to an American audience. And it's just like... I, American audiences still aren't aren't there as far as <laughs> we're like, not a nuanced crowd. No, no, we're not. But I, I think that if the story is good, it can stand on its own as is. Agreed. Yeah, right. I don't know if people remember, but back in the early colonial days, we did not win every victory against the British. No, no, no. <laughs> no you know why we won the Revolutionary War? Because they they were tired of beating us. <laughs> the money ran out. <laughs> well, and to be fair, that is what happened because they had been the war at the French for so long that you know they had been fighting all these other wars and they were just tired of war so they kind of gave up and said fine you can have the colony welcome to the tobacco fields motherfucker just <laughs> yeah. guys in tricorn these hats colors don't run <laughs> guys in coonskin hats hiding in woods shooting at british i mean literally it's <laughs> it's uh guerrilla tactics that we won the revolutionary we just war. outlasted their yeah. will to keep beating yeah. on us we rocky balboa them <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, my ancestor, Anthony Wayne, was a general in the Revolutionary War. Oh, nice. Is that for real or is yes, that bullshit? Yeah. Okay. No, he was known as Mad Anthony Wayne um, because he got mad. And, he got crazy. He, hence to forth, you shall be known in my head as Mad Brad. I, Mad Brad. I mean, I, I, why, Mad would, Brad Wayne. why would you not take that? It sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, at one point, the British uh, fic- attack his fort with bayonets and I drive him off. Like a year later, he comes back and does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, they were like, that's pretty savage. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all he said. Yeah. Later yeah. on, later on, helped sign treaties with uh, some uh, Indian tribes. Oh, so nice. there's a Wayne County in uh, uh, Georgia 
which is kind of where like he was doing all that at. And there's also a Wayne County. I clearly need to visit Ancestry.com or some shit. Oh like, no, this I don't was, even know where my people are this, from. This was us going and doing the traveling to places and and going to the old records. Cool. cool. So. All right, I need a historical palate cleanse, y'all. So I'm going to head over to the rec room, and my recommendation comes from a very different time, but Altered Carbon is back for season two on Netflix. Yes, queen. And I have I have not started it yet. Please don't spoil anything, but I'm so excited because Anthony Mackie is back for this season. I actually haven't watched that. I need to. It's on my list. Dude, it's really good. It got a lot of flack. I don't know why. It's such an interesting story. So people have like a sleeve, and your consciousness just goes into a new sleeve, which is a new body. So your consciousness can go on forever, but your body, people transition from old to young, from white to black, from Asian to Hispanic, from male to female. And there are people who are down and out on their luck and will temporarily sell their sleeve. You can rent out, like you can rent out a junkie for a day, test it out. (laughs) You can do that here. (laughs) (laughs) For different results, but yes, you can. I know this is going to shock you, but I have already seen season two of Altered Carbon. Seriously? I also read the books before the first season ever came out. Shock. Of course you did. Of course um, you did. Th- that entire Nerd. concept of being able to, uh, you know, download your brain and and change your body, and it's actually been, kind of been the the hipster thing to do in sci-fi for a, a few years now. So there's actually a lot of books that cover that that concept. Yeah, it's not a new concept. I no. just like the way that it's done, and I no, thought it, the world was engrossing and engaging. Yeah, we'll talk about it sometime. I'll just I'll just say that. Yeah, I that I've I've covered all that. I'm good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> We can do a next episode if you want. I probably oh, well, I'll, I'll binge it. I'll take you up on that. Um, I, you know, actually, I'm I'm gonna torture you just a little more. Oh God, we're back to history class. Classes in session, kids. Because if you want another good piece of historical fiction, that is both a movie it's and what a my book. life is screaming out. It is in my mind the best example of where a book and a movie are both equally as good. Because usually one's better than the other. One's a better uh, medium for it, or one's just done better. But this is the example where they are both. Super, super great, super amazing. And that is 1989's Lonesome Dove. Okay. The miniseries. I mean, okay, Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones, Danny Glover, Diane Lane, Robert Ulrich, Frederick Forrest, D.B. Sweeney, Ricky Schroeder, Angelica Houston, Chris Cooper, Barry Corbin, and Steve Buscemi. I did not realize all those people were in there. Absolutely amazing amazing miniseries and the original book the source material from larry mcmurtry fantastic now i will warn you up front this historical fiction it, along the same line as in you know they're very accurate to the point where the cattle drive that they're doing actually happened this is a real event just wasn't those people right <laughs> so the, it was those cows though that's what's right. important and so many of these events was accurate to the cows actually take place um no i mean yeah, the, the type of cows were accurate if that matters to you <laughs> There's a very specific type of cattle that would have been around at that time, and they used them. Um, so if you get a chance to go back and watch that, this is not just an amazing Western, but an amazing piece of historical fiction on both grounds. Acting is fantastic. Cool. I'm just going to wait for Westworld season three. <laughs> so close. Pretty so stoked close. about that. I'm pretty sure that's historically accurate. Yeah, totally. Right? Anthony right. Hopkins said so. You got anything to recommend for us? What are you into right now, buddy? Oh, myself, mostly. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. always I, and forever. Oh, gosh, I wasn't ready for that. We recommend more Brad in your life. That's what we recommend. <laughs> I, rec- I mean, if you'll see a previous episode, we did talk extensively about porn. I recommend that if you're interested in a live play RPG <laughs> podcast, you check Only out fans. The- Brad has an OnlyFans, out- Mad Brad Wayne. <laughs> check out The Adventurer's Fault. If, if you'd like to read what is basically our 
our fan if fiction. If you are interested in me setting up an OnlyFans account and paying me money to do weird stuff, I assure you, I'm ready. You heard it here first, Mad Brad Wayne on OnlyFans.com. Oh, you want to watch me read the Iliad while I dance? <laughs> I'll do it for money. Only if you do a box step. I, whatever. If you have money, I have whatever Charge you got. Ten cents a word. <laughs> I've read the oh, Bible. Oh, that's oh yeah. I would yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll air your ads when you get this up and running. <laughs> you can be our first sponsor. How's that? I'd like for you to be wearing only fans, please. That's fine. Just strategically placed fans <laughs> I, over your titties and I, your junk. That's fine. I will. I've done worse for money. <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't well, we on all. that lovely note. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Call me Master and Commander. <laughs>